When we abide in Jesus, we experience Jesus' power, a power that will sustain us on the right road and make us fruitful. Today, we'll be learning about how to stay connected to the source of God's sustaining power. This message is the eighth in the series, Turning Point. The message is entitled, Stay Connected. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. And we're going to find ourselves here in just a moment in John chapter 15, the first eight verses there. We're actually wrapping up a series of messages we've been involved in for the new year together entitled Turning Point. And I want to take this, this time this, this morning to talk to you about staying connected. What does it mean to stay connected in these turning points we're making with our lives? A turning point as we've defined it, and as it is defined, is really a strategic, decisive moment in your life. Many of you can look back over your life and say, you know, I remember that turning point, that decisive moment, that strategic moment in my life. And we're talking about it in reference to moving on in our walk with God. What does it mean for us? How do we move from bad things in our life to good things? And how do we move from the good things to the better things? And how do we move from the better to the best? In fact, our journey with Jesus is very much like that. We come out of the bad into the good, the good, the better, the better, the best. And that's God's plan for us to continue to turn toward Him. In fact, the word repentance is the word that means to turn or to return to God. And so how do we make these turning points and how do we make them last? How do they stick in our lives? And I've been encouraged as I've heard some of you talk about some of the turning points you've had this year so far as we've begun a new year together. Excitement that's come in your heart as you've made some very significant decisions in your walk with God. Let me tell you something. You can't turn and you can't stay turning in the right direction without power. You need power that is beyond yourself. And the longer that I walk with God and the longer that I serve Him, the more I realize that to do so, I need power above myself. I don't have the power to be the person God wants me to be, and I don't have the power to serve God the way that I want to serve Him. I need supernatural power. I need the power of God at work in our lives, in my life and your life as well. So how do you and I get this power that helps us not only to make the turn, but to stay on the right pathways of life? And in John chapter 15, Jesus gives us what I believe is one of the most significant passages in terms of understanding how to stay connected, how to have power, not just for the short term, but really for the long haul. See, the Christian journey is not meant to be a sprint. It's meant to be a marathon. It's something you do over the long haul of your life. And Jesus, before he goes to his uh, time of, of crucifixion, ultimate resurrection, he's spending time with his disciples in the upper room, and he gives this, them this amazing teaching in John chapter 15 that is one of the most special teachings for the intimate call that it brings to us in relationship to Jesus. Let me read for you the first eight verses, John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am, one of the I am statements of Christ, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, or that could also be stated pruned in some sense, clean pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Would you say that together with me? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. One of the older translations says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or abide in me. 
I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. He makes very clear who he is and who we are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me just ask you as we begin this study together, what word shows up time and time again in these eight verses? It's the word remain. It's the word abide. And the secret to the power that you and I need to do and be all that God wants us to do and be is to learn something about remaining or abiding in Jesus. What does it mean to remain or abide in Christ? Because it is the key to fruitfulness. If you're going to bear fruit, by the way, that word fruit in the Bible uh, usually indicates two things when it comes to our Christian journey. It, it, it certainly involves our becoming more Christ-like, bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, being more like Jesus. And it certainly relates to the work that we do for the kingdom of God. It is the fruit of our lives, the fruit of our labor, bearing some kind of eternal significance. And so Jesus says, if you want to be more like me, and if you want my fruit to be in your life, and if you want your work to be fruitful, you must learn something about remaining. And so I want to talk to you today about three things that you must understand about abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, if you're making some turns in your life that will keep you connected to his power. The first thing we must understand is that abiding in Jesus means this, that you actually settle in with him. That's the phrase I want you to get today, settle in. See, when you abide somewhere, it usually relates to the fact of where you actually live. It's where you've moved in. If I ask you, where do you live today, you would tell me probably the city or the town that you live in, the street that you live on, and the number of the house or the apartment that you live in. You would give me what we commonly refer to as your address. That's where you remain. That's where you abide. You abide in your home or in your house. That's where you have settled in. It is called your home. And it's extremely important in life that people settle in. Settling is a good thing. In fact, if you've ever met someone before, if you've ever been in this situation in life of being unsettled, you know it can be a very difficult and traumatic time when you don't feel like you sort of have a home, okay? And you're trying to figure out, well, is this my house? And you're sort of temporarily in between, between places. It's very unsettling to you emotionally. We're designed to be people who settle in. God wants you to get settled. Settledness is a good thing. See, when you get settled, here's a very profound statement. When you get settled, you're no longer unsettled. When you get settled, you lose a sense of restlessness. You lose this wandering that can many times, and I see it all the time, people that have this sort of wandering uh, mentality of life, and they never bear the fruit that God wants them to bear. And so settling in involves a commitment. See, when you decided where you're going to live, whether it was a rental, whether it's a rental agreement that you have or you purchased the house that you're living in right now, you made an agreement with somebody. You made a commitment. Someone put a lease form in front of you and you signed the lease and that was your commitment. I agree to X numbers of dollars uh, over X numbers of months and I'm committed to this place. When you bought your house, if you purchased it, you signed a mortgage agreement where you now entered into a contract. You made a commitment and so commitment is essential to settling. You never settle without commitment. Both of those things go together. 
And the same is true in our walk with God, that if you and I want to be settled in or remain in Christ or abide in Him, it means that we have to settle some commitment issues. Let me talk to you about four commitment issues that involves settlement in your life if you and I are going to abide in Jesus. First of all, you, you have to settle your relationship with Him. You have to come to the place in your life that you've determined, I'm no longer just going to visit with Jesus. He's going to become my home address. I'm not just going to date Jesus. We're going to get married. See, there are a lot of people that love to visit Jesus. They visit him when they're in trouble, when life is tough and difficult. They knock on the door of Jesus and say, Jesus, can we have some time together? I need you in my life right now. Maybe that's where you are. The good news is that Jesus is always available for you, that when you're in trouble, isn't it great to know that you can go to him? But he doesn't want a relationship with you that is just based upon your times of trouble or difficulty. He wants a relationship that's based upon ongoing fellowship with him. He wants you to settle in. He wants you to become at home with him. And he doesn't want just to date you. He wants you to be married to him. In fact, notice Luke chapter 14, verse 33. I love the message, paraphrase, rendering of this. It says, simply put, the words of Jesus, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Jesus said there's some times in life you come to a point where you say, you know, Jesus, what's more important to me than anything else is my relationship with you. The second thing that settling in involves is learning that our life is actually lived in him. That we've moved in, if you will, with Jesus. We've made the marriage commitment, if you will, to him. And then we live our life in him. He is the home base for everything that we do, for every decision that we make. He is the one that we run to, the one that we consult with. As Acts 17, verse 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's what it means to be settled in with Christ, that in him you're living and moving and having your being. Your identity is based in your relationship with Jesus. See, a a lot of people struggle uh, in their lives because their identity is based in what they own or their identity is based in, in the car they drive or the people they know or the position they have at work or the title they carry before or after their name. And I will tell you something, that if your identity is based in those kind of things, it's very, very fleeting. But Jesus says, I want your life to be lived in me, that in me you live and move and have your being. Thirdly, it means that he's the one that we're most comfortable with. Can I ask you today? Who are you most comfortable with in your life? When life gets challenging or you need a little bit of comfort, who do you run to? Do you run to the world? Do you run to, to sin? Do you run to stuff in your life that, that represents you and, and the center of your life being you? Or do you run to Jesus? Jesus says, I want you to be most comfortable with me and to become comfortable with what he's comfortable with. John 15, 15 again says, defining this whole idea of, of a comfort relationship with Jesus, an intimate relationship with him. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Indeed, I have called you. What's the word there? Friends. See, friendship is a comfort to you. Jesus said, I want to be your friend for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Settling in with Jesus. Jesus means that he's your place of security and rest and peace. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Dear ones, let me tell you something today. If you're going to have sustained power, if you want to make this turning point in your life last, then you have to make the decision, I am settling in with Jesus. Amen? The second thing that's necessary, abiding in Christ, what is it all, all about? 
It means you've made the decision that you're not going to look back, you're not going to go back. I will not look back and I will not go back. Anytime you make some positive changes in your life, it comes with excitement, doesn't it? Something new, something fresh, you feel really excited about it. It's true when you make a decision for the Lord. I've seen lots of Christians when they first meet Jesus, they're really excited about their newfound faith and they've got this joy that's bubbling about them. And all of us feel that even when we make fresh decisions as you, many of you have made in this new year as we're starting out together, this excitement about where this is going to lead you and the potential for your future as you're thinking about these turning point issues in your heart. But let me tell you something, that excitement is not gonna last. Over time, the temptations show back up again and the attractions of the past call again and, and life begins to wear on you and the honeymoon of change, even positive change, ultimately ends. And the excitement, as many of you will have experienced over these two months together in our Turning Point series of some fresh things in your life, you're feeling good about it. Let me tell you, those feelings are going to be short-lived. They don't last forever. They're called a honeymoon. And they're going to bite, they're going to go at some point in time away. And you and I can't live on emotion. We can't live on the feeling or even the attraction of change. What we must understand is that there will be those moments when we'll be tempted to look back and to go back. You see this pattern all the way through the Bible. The classic example of this of the children of Israel when they were called out of Egypt, they'd been slaves. Listen, they'd been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. That's a long time to be enslaved. Generation after generation had been raised slaves in Egypt and they had been treated miserably. The Bible spoke of the cruelty of the taskmasters there in Egypt. And God raised up a man by the name of Moses and Moses was sent down by God into Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go and finally they come out by God's mighty hand and cross over the Red Sea and they're headed toward the promised land. And every time problems came up for the Israelites, what was the first thing they said to Moses? Can we go back to Egypt? Did you bring us out in this desert for us to die? And they were always having the tendency to look back on what was, to look back behind them instead of looking ahead toward what was before them, the promised land that God had given. And the same is true for you and me. And the Bible, again, is filled with all kinds of stories. Let me give you three other stories that you'll perhaps know. At least two of them you'll know. Uh, I'm sure if you've studied any of the Bible. The first one is about a lady named Lot's wife. We don't know her first name. All we know is that she's Mrs. Lot. That's, she's Mrs. Lot. And Lot, lived, Lot and his family lived in a time of great evil. They lived in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of the perversity of Sodom and Gomorrah, the evil that existed there, God had decided he was going to rain down judgment upon that area, that territory. Now, Lot was the nephew of a man that you're familiar with. His name was Abraham. And so while Abraham lived away from where Lot was, Abraham was concerned about Lot, and Abraham interceded on Lot's behalf for Lot's salvation. And so God sent some angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to deliver Lot and his family out of this upcoming destruction. And God told his Lot and the family, when you leave, don't look back. Notice Genesis chapter 19, verse number 17. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives. He's talking to Lot and Lot's family. And don't look back. 
or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now, would you agree those are some very stern warnings? Don't even look back. Don't stop. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing ahead. Don't let the attraction of Sodom and Gomorrah or anything that's back here there pull you back in that way. But notice verse 19. But Lot's wife, what did she do? She looked back as she was following behind him. That's behind her husband Lot. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus reminded us of this story in Luke chapter 17 when he said these words, remember what happened to Lot's wife. What was Jesus talking about there? Remember what? Remember what happened to Lot's wife? What happened? Well, it wasn't the issue that she turned into a pillar of salt. Those were the, that was the consequence. But what he wanted us to remember was the fact that she looked what? Back. Let's talk about another man that you know. His name was Judas. Judas was a man that we know very little about except the latter part of his life. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. But we need to understand something about the front end of Judas' life. This is his front, first portion encounter with Christ. And from the things that we can put together about Judas, he was attracted to Jesus just like all the other disciples were because he had a need in his life. There were some things he wanted to be free from. There were some things that he wanted. He saw something in Jesus that he'd never seen in anyone else, and he wanted to become a follower of Christ. He wanted his life to be changed by Jesus. And so he signed up and became one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples that was a follower of Jesus, spent intimate time with Jesus over three, three and a half years. But there came a point in Judas' life where he didn't pay attention to what was happening inside of him. He didn't pay attention to something that was going on because there was an enemy that started to work on Judas and Judas didn't even realize what was happening until it was too late. See, folks, let me tell you something. If you're not careful, the enemy can work in your life and he'll get you before it's too late. He knows how to subtly work in your life and to lay the traps and to set the hook and the bait and to draw you in. And that's exactly what happened to Judas. And over a period of time, Judas began to look away from Jesus back into the life most likely he had before he met Christ. And it culminated on the night of Jesus' arrest and his ultimate betrayal that transpires in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's recorded in John chapter 13, verse 27, what happened to Judas. The Bible says, when Judas had eaten the bread, that's at the last supper there with Christ, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. In other words, what happened in that moment, Satan didn't just show up at that moment. It was the moment that he had entrance into Judas' life. Why? Because Judas had opened the door. He had looked back. There's another man in the Bible that you may not be familiar with. His name is Demas. And Demas, for many years, was a faithful helper with the Apostle Paul. Paul had some amazing helpers around him. He needed helpers to get his work done. He needed guys like Timothy. Timothy was an amazing help to Paul. He needed fellows like Titus, who was another tremendous son in the faith that God gave Paul to help the work of God be accomplished. He needed people like Epaphroditus and people like this who assisted him in his ministry. And one of those guys was named Demas. And Demas, for many, many years, we don't know how many years, but for many years, according to what we see in the Bible, Demas was a faithful helper with the Apostle Paul. But something happened in Demas' life. There was a moment in time when instead of continuing to look forward, Demas began to look back. He began to look around. He began to see things that attracted him away from his primary commitment. And when Paul gets to the last part of his life, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, these words. 
Sad, sad, sad words. He says, you see, writing to Timothy, Demas has fallen for this world, abandoned me, and headed off to Thessalonica. That word abandon, if you want to circle it there in your notes, is a word that means this. It means to drop the ball. It means to lay all the weight on you. It's like if you were carrying a heavy load with someone, if we had a large piece of furniture that we were, maybe the four, four guys were trying to carry, and one guy decided he wanted to drop his corner, all the weight would, would land on everybody else. And Paul said, what happened to me was this. Demas was going along, helping me carry the load. And one day he turned around, looked back, looked around, and he forsook me. He dropped the load and all the weight fell on me. He abandoned me. And Demas missed out on a great destiny for his life because he looked back. And I challenge you today as you're going forward from 2013, as many of you have made solid decisions in your life for some turning points to get rid of some bad habits, to change some bad attitudes, to move from what's bad to better in your life, good and better and best for your life. Can I encourage you to make the decision, I'm not looking back and I'm not going back. Amen? Let me tell you why looking back is so bad. Looking back always leads to going back. Looking back is the first step in going back. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and, what's the phrase there? Looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Paul said it this way, Philippians 3, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, is I'm not going to keep looking back. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me quickly give you three things that will help you to avoid looking back and going back. Number one, be prepared for temptation. There'll be those moments you're going to be tempted to look back and go back. Don't fall prey to it. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. Be on guard against temptation. Second of all, see, always see the deception that's in the dream. I'll explain that for, in a moment, but write it down. See the deception that's in the dream. Satan specializes in selling dreams to you and me. He's a dream seller. What I mean by that is this. He, he creates facades in your life. He creates illusions in your life. And he entices you to, to change your path in life to embrace that facade, to embrace that illusion. And what will happen is Satan will tell you, this is what you really, this will really make your, ha your life fulfilled. This will really satisfy you. And there's this dream, this fantasy that he begins to build in your mind. And then you begin to go after it. And when you embrace it, you realize there's nothing there. It's just an illusion. I'm not sure if you've ever gone to uh, Universal Studios in Hollywood. Uh, we've been there several times in, in terms of just touring uh, Southern California. And when you go to Universal Studios in Hollywood, there's a place on the back lot called New York Street. Anybody ever been to New York Street, Universal Studios in Hollywood before? They may have the same thing in, in, in Disneyland or Disney World. I'm not sure. But New York Street is interesting because when they pull you in there, you actually feel like you're, you're in the, on the streets of New York. Because all the cities, I mean, all this, the buildings look like uh, some of the areas of New York that you'll walk through. But then you begin to notice something when you turn the corners and look at the different angle. It's nothing but a facade. 
There are no buildings there. It's just this facade they use to shoot the movies and the movie scenes there. And they give you the illusion that it's something that it's really not. And Satan specializes in that. If I could help you today, and it's not always bad stuff he'll try to lead you astray with. Sometimes he'll pull you away with, with the good versus the better or the best. See? If he can't get you with the bad, he'll get you to sacrifice good for what's better or better for what's best in your life. And so he creates these illusions for you. And then you go after them and then you wake up five years later or ten years later and realize, my goodness, what have I done? I wasted a portion of my life on something that had no meaning. Now Jesus made this clear in John chapter 8 verse 44. He talks to, talking to the Pharisees here. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And then he describes the characteristics of, of Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies how do you know Satan's lying he's moving his lips anytime, anytime he moves his lips anytime he says anything to you he's lying he is, he, is, he, is a, he is the ultimate con artist and he can con you and me he's very subtle in the way that he cons us and that's why <coughs> listen that's why you need truth in your life amen and that's why you need voices of truth in your life because if you don't have truth in your life, and if you don't have voices of truth in your life, what's going to happen? You, get, you can get snookered by the adversary. I assure you. I don't care who you are. The Bible says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. That's why you need these voices of truth in your life. Let me take a moment and cough. Is that okay? <coughs> Some of you were waiting for me to do that, weren't you? You were trying to cough for me. I know you were. I'm going to make it through this weekend. Number three, know that consistent labor is what leads to a significant life. Let me tell you, the best way to keep going forward, just keep putting your hands to the work God gives you right now. Whatever God's putting your hands right now, put your heart into it. Why? Because if you're busy doing what's right in front of you right now, guess what? If you're working on what's in front of you, you don't have time to pay attention to what's behind you. Amen? If you're working diligently on what's in front of you, that's one of the safeguards against getting sidetracked any other place. Just say, God, what have you put in my life right now? I'm going to give my whole heart to what you've put in my life right now. And I will assure you that God will always make sure you're working on the right stuff. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give a fantastic number three. Let's wrap up by our third point. What is abiding in Jesus all about? It means you settle in. It means you're not going to look back and you're not going to go back. And it means that from this day forward, you're going to invest your best for Christ. You're going to invest your best for Christ. When you abide somewhere, it means that you actually give that place your attention. You love it, you work on it, you maintain it, you repair it, you invest in it. See, you don't decorate and fix up somebody else's house, do you? You decorate and fix up your own house. You don't walk to your neighbor and say, you know, I'd love to invest $10,000 in your house. No, but you will invest that in your own house if you need the repairs or need the upkeep or the investment necessary. Why? Because it's your place. It's where you abide. You invest in where you, where you abide. Let's talk about a hotel for a moment. When you check into a hotel, whether it be for a day, a week, or a month, I assure you that you don't go out and buy expensive artwork for your hotel room. 
You don't look at the carpet and say, you know what, I don't like this carpet, honey. Let's go buy some more carpet for our hotel room. And the paint, it's not my color. Let's get the paint changed in our hotel room. You don't make all those adjustments. You don't repair things. If something comes up in your hotel room, you pick up the phone and call the front desk. You say, you know what, either fix it or change my room. Why? Because it's not your room. You don't, you don't want, see, you don't even clean up your hotel room unless you're my wife. I mean, it's like we're getting ready to go out and housekeeping's coming. We've got to clean up housekeeping. Well, that's what they're coming for. No, we've got to clean up because they're coming. But the point being is that you don't take care, you don't take the same ownership or care of things that are not yours, okay? And so when you abide somewhere, it becomes your place. It becomes something you invest in. And when you abide in Jesus, it means that you, you value that relationship. You're at home with him. And you begin to invest everything you can into making that relationship everything it can be. And you're investing not just a few days or a few months, but you invest year after year in the relationship. Why? Because you value it. As I mentioned a few moments ago, this walk with Jesus is not just a short-term thing. It's not just a sprint. It's a marathon. I want you to invest starting in 2013 for the rest of your life. I'm not asking you to invest for the next 10, 12 months. I'm asking you to invest yourself the best you've got for the rest of your life in serving Jesus. I mean, just stop for a moment and ask you, how many today have been walking with Jesus at least 25 years, a meaningful relationship with Christ 25 years? All right, keep your hands up. How many of you have, have, been, have, have had 30 years with Jesus? Those of you that haven't, put your hand. How about, how about 40 years? Any 40-year Christians here today? Any 50-year people here today? My hand goes up on that one. I'm going to stop there else you'll know my age, okay? I will tell you, if you've lived with Jesus, walk with him in a meaningful way for any length of time, you can testify it gets sweeter and sweeter with Jesus year after year. It gets better and better. See, you think it's good now. It's not as good as it's going to be if you keep investing. It's like marriage. The more you invest in your marriage, the better it's going to be. My wife and I celebrate, I believe it's 36 years this year. And in 36 years of marriage, I'll tell you something. Listen, this. I'm not asking for applause. Applause for her. She, she spent 36 years with me. So that's, she deserves the applause. But what I'm telling you, know, it, it's gotten better over the years, okay? And those of you that are just getting started out, let me tell you, it's just the, the first 25 years are the hardest, okay? Just remember that, okay? <laughs> Once you get to year 26, things get a lot better, okay? But it's that investment year after year. You keep working on it. You keep learning something about each other. You, see, you keep adjusting yourself where you need to adjust. You, you keep gaining insights you didn't have before. And so what that does is that as you invest your best in the relationship, there's the improvement, the sweetness of it grows and the, and the, and the intimacy of it grows. And so what Jesus is saying to you and me as we're starting 2013 together, he's just saying, what I want you to do is to make the decision that I am your vine and you're a branch. And you realize something, you can't make it without me. I want you to be abiding, remaining in me, settle in, settle the issue that I am your king, I am your God. And don't look back and don't go back. And from this day forward, invest your best, the best that you can give to me, and the reward will be there. John 15, verse number 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The challenge that I give to you as we wrap up our turning point.
Settle in with it. Don't go back and put your best in. Amen? And keep pressing on because I promise you that you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. That concludes eight weeks of study. Go back over these notes. Let them be something you carry with them throughout, carry with you throughout this year. Next weekend, we start a new series together, as uh, Drew mentioned a moment ago, called Gigantic. I'm going to start, I'm going to talk for four weeks about giants in your life. Next weekend, I'm going to talk about dealing with giant hurt, giant pain. Everybody carries pain. Sometimes these, the pain in your life is like this huge giant that you can't get past. We're going to talk about how you slay the giant of pain in your life. Be here. Bring someone that's got some pain in their life with you. Following week, I'm going to talk about the giant called worry. Anybody ever have the giant called worry show up in your life, okay? He just looms over you. You can't get past him because all this worry is just looming at you. And so how do you slay the giant called worry? The third week, I'm going to talk about the giant called uh, your, your responsibilities, big stuff that comes your way that you can't seem to handle. Where do you find the strength, the power to do it? And the fourth week, I can't remember what I'm going to talk about. Okay. <laughs> But I'm going to talk about something, I promise you, okay? There's some other giant out there. I'm sure there's another giant we can talk about. But I know what it is. It's just on my notes in my office. But uh, we'll get to it later. So let's pray right now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for letting your word settle in our hearts today. And God, I pray that you'll help us to let 2013 be sealed today as a turning point year in our life. God, I pray for your people. I pray that today we would make the decision that we are settling in with you, God. That we're not going to look back and we're not going to go back. And from this day forward, Lord, we're going to invest the best we can, the best we are in our relationship with you. And thank you, God, for the fruit that you'll bring because of it. In Jesus' name. Well, perhaps as you've been watching today's broadcast, something's been happening inside of you. Maybe you felt a stirring in your heart, something that's reminded you that you need to get some things right in your life with God. The first way we start in that journey with God is to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of our life, to turn all of our life over to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Would you bow your head with me and pray this prayer? Say these words, say, Jesus, just acknowledge that He is Lord. Say, Jesus... I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, I want to encourage you with the promise of God's Word that says when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there's salvation that's brought to our lives. He changes us on the inside, from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take some next steps. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word, to make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it, to spend some time each day in prayer. We have some resources available for you through our website. We'd love to provide those for you. Just let us know that you need those and we'll make sure that we get them into your hands. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.